Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. We are two for two on amazing guests this week, as I have somebody who I'm excited to talk to because he's been able to do a lot more player interviews than I have, certainly this year and and going back to last year as well. Um, somebody who writes for Hoops Hype slash USA Today. That's Brian Kabrowski. Brian, how you doing, my friend? Great. Thank you uh, for having me. I appreciate all the kind words, and I'm looking forward to chatting about some of these guys with you. Absolutely. So just before we get into some of these prospects, Brian, why don't you just give my audience a a quick background about who you are, what you do, as well as where they can find your work, because they – my audience definitely needs to go read the interviews that, that you've done as well. They're all excellent pieces, and they give some good insight. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm a writer for Hoops Hype uh, and USA Today is for the win, both within USA Today. Uh, I also launched the uh, Rookie Wire site uh, through USA Today as well that Cody Taylor now does a great job of running. Uh, so basically, uh, most of my draft features will be at Hoops Hype uh, throughout the year. And, you know, obviously, mostly during this draft cycle, uh, you know, because it's so condensed, it's crazy that's happening at the same time as, you know, Olympics, free agency, trade market, and the finals. Um, but uh, it is what it is, and I'm uh, looking forward to uh, continuing to do this draft coverage in the future. I've got uh, mock boards, mock drafts, and big boards that, uh, for the win and, and the interviews at Hoops Hype. Yeah, I know that you did recently on on top of interviews that you just keep putting out, my man. Incredible content. Like I said, you just put one out today um, about David Johnson, who we're going to get to a little bit later in this podcast. But uh, you also mentioned the, the the mock draft that you have up that that can be based on a number of different things. But certainly, Brian, you someone like you who's able to talk to people, you can at least piece some things together to be able to publish something, right? So you kind of get a little bit of the buzz that's going around. And the guy I want to lead off with first, you actually told me behind the scenes, Brian, and I'll, I'll love to get your take on why your favorite interview you think that you've done this cycle or one of your favorites was, was Trey Murphy III on the Virginia forward who has been skyrocketing up mock drafts at, at this point. Like He was somebody who wasn't quite on everybody's radar at the beginning of this draft cycle, and then he started to get a little bit of buzz, had some people who absolutely love him on, on draft Twitter. Shout out to, to Chuck at Chucking Darts. Um, he, he's, he's definitely a big Murphy guy. And now you just see it bubbling to the point where it's consensus. Like this guy is a legitimate first round prospect. He's going to go in the first round. The question really is how high. Um, so Brian, why don't you talk to me first about where you think Murphy's draft stock is right now, and what are some of the impressions that that you've gotten in terms of where he could be taken on draft night? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, I I, I texted a scout the other day just to be like, how high is too high uh, for Trey Murphy? And the scout told me that he had him at 16. And I think that's pretty reasonable. You know, that scout also told me that, um, you know, outside of play Jose Alvarado, uh, who I haven't had the chance to speak with. That was his favorite interview that the organization uh, has had a chance to speak with as well. So uh, I think across the board, you know, everybody um, is getting really, really excited uh, about Trey. Um, you know, I think uh, I, I got to give a shout out to, to Alex Brown um, from advancedprobasketball.com and uh, the Prospect Pod. Um, he actually reached out to me, man, uh, I got to say, 
early in the season um, about Trey Murphy, uh, basically telling me that he thought that Trey would be somebody that would really, really benefit uh, from uh, being able to chat with me during this pre-draft cycle because uh, of just what he knew about Trey as a person. And uh, so I, I got to know Trey's dad a little bit after Alex kind of put me on to the fact that Trey was somebody I should be following. And, you know, that was back in, I guess I want to say January. And since then, uh, I would say Trey uh, has been, you know, easily one of the biggest risers. I'd say he and Josh Primo and JT Thor and Joe Wieskamp and Quentin Grimes uh, have kind of been like the guys to, to really skyrocket since the combine at least. But um, I, I, you know, with his length and, uh, and his shooting, uh, it's hard to, uh, to find, you know, a more perfect player suited for the NBA outside of, you know, the projected top 10 guys or, or whatever have you. And, um, you know, obviously that alone is a good profile, but once I started to get to know him, um, I, I really, really started to uh, fall in love with him as a prospect. I think he's got uh, really, really great self-awareness. I think that, um, you know, I've got to give a shout out to Gibson Piper as well. Um, I took his learn basketball course and, uh, really loved what I took away from uh, that course when it came to film breakdowns. And uh, that helped me get a more advanced understanding of the game. And, um, you know, when I'm talking to Trey, I asked where his love for the game came from. And he said his high school basketball coach actually was Gibson Piper. Uh, so I thought that was super <laughs> fascinating. Um, obviously, I was like, oh, well, that's that's somebody who taught me a lot. Uh, so obviously it makes sense that for you to have that understanding. Uh, makes me make sense as to why I like your game so much. But you know, he, he, he was quoting his numbers on Synergy and talking about uh, his efficiency and um, six foot three coming out of high school. And uh, I told him that I was asking about what it felt like for him to be an under-recruited prospect uh, coming out of high school to now being a projected first rounder. And he said, I wasn't under-recruited coming out of high school. I was properly recruited being a zero-star athlete with no real major offers. Um, you know, I, I didn't deserve it then. I've just gotten better. And, you know, he, obviously it helps that now he's six foot nine going, coming from six foot three, uh, six foot nine is, is a huge plus as well. But, um, you know, there, there are some, I've seen question uh, about how much he can do when he puts the ball on the floor. And, you know, he wasn't expecting to play this season at Virginia. Um, he wasn't expected to be a part of that offense at all. He was expected if he did to play just to be a catch and shoot guy. Instead, he ended up being one of two guys to shoot 50, 40, 90 in the entire country. And obviously he was a low usage rate guy. Um, that explains why most of what he did was off the catch. But, you know, he, he definitely is somebody who during these workouts has shown that he could be a little bit more explosive um, off the dribble as both a cutter and also as somebody who can create a shot off the dribble a little bit too. And I don't think his defenders know that. And he says he thinks that's a good thing because his defenders guard him like he can't go off the dribble, which means he can really blow by them a lot. Um, and I think that's a really great knowledge of the game too in terms of the fact that uh, the film doesn't show he can go off the dribble. Um, obviously, uh, that's something that I think can kind of come as he gets better. And I think that uh, with his length, you know, seven-foot wingspan, um, and almost everything he takes is either a dunker or a layup or a three-pointer. So uh, there's going to be a lot of analytically friendly people who, uh, who are going to fall in love with that too. And also, I love just kind of talking about fashion. He had a great sense of, uh, you know, um, shoes and, and kind of uh, – other things like that and just, you know, felt, felt like a normal guy. Uh, sometimes when you're talking to prospects, um, they can either be short or they can be nervous or they can be overly confident or it can feel a little bit uh, like you're talking to somebody who um, is just 
uh, in a whole other world than you are because they're about to become millionaires, right? Um, whereas talking to him, I was just like, yeah, I could easily hang out with this guy on any normal night too. You you just brought up so many awesome points, Brian. And this is like I said at the top, it's a big reason why I wanted to have have you on the podcast because you brought up points from your conversations with him that lay out um, self awareness, humility. Um, a knowledge and a passion for, for the game as well as just learning in general. Um, having reasonable expectations for yourself and kind of laying out a path to, to break through those expectations. Like these are all these are all very human characteristics and human traits that we don't always talk about when we, we visit scouting, right? We're talking about how these guys can fit into the league. And it's one thing to talk about just the X's and the O's or maybe look at a few numbers, which by the way, I mean, that that's, that's another reason why I wanted to lead off with Trey Murphy. Cause I mean, I, I could sit here and read off his whole statistical profile between his counting numbers and his synergy stats. Like I did when I was going through some of my draft tiers and it's like every single thing on his page, I have like highlighted in green. Like he may not have been asked to have the most complete role in terms of like, like he did every single thing for his team's offense. Like some of these other prospects have had to, but everything Virginia asked him to do, clearly he was willing to do it and he did it so well. And you don't always get that from role players coming into the NBA guys who are willing to do whatever it takes and to, to carve out a role and earn minutes and then from there that's really how you keep expanding upon your skill base that's how you improve you need to be able to play and get minutes on the floor and for trey murphy to admit that he didn't know how much he was going to be a part of the offenses here if he was just going to have a more limited role or if he was going to get the chance to sign uh shine in a bigger role like he had those realistic expectations for himself i love hearing stuff like that to be honest um, when, when you were talking with Trey Bryan, what, what seemed like the biggest thing that he feels like he needs to work on going into the NBA? Yeah. I mean, uh, just, just to kind of go back to that point too, um, because, because I think you're absolutely right. You know, I, I think that Cam Thomas and Trey Mann are both really, really great players who can score, uh, with the best of them, but I don't know what NBA team is going to have the opportunity to give them the keys to their offense next mm -hmm. season. And that's kind of exactly why I feel uh, I'm so excited about uh, Trey is because it's really easy to imagine a role in which he uh, steps in right away. And um, I think that that uh, is, exactly, is exactly why I, I really like um, what he's able to do at the NBA level. So, um, you know, I think that most prospects say that they're, they're just looking to improve their defense. Um, I think that that's kind of, uh, one of the things that uh, he uh, is excited to do, I think he's got the length uh, to do that. And I think, like I said, uh, he, he he wants to show more of his ball handling skills. Um, and I think that that's kind of one of the things that uh, will will help him separate himself from some of the other shooters as well. Because, you know, if teams know that they can push him off the line and he's not going to go attack the basket, um, then it's going to be pretty easy to defend them. But if they know he can potentially uh, get by them, um, and use his six, seven foot wingspan uh, at the at the wing at the uh, rim rather. Um, you know that's going to make him a taller wing and a harder wing to defend than some of the other perimeter players in the class. I for sure will be excited as anybody to see how he develops within his first few years in the NBA. What kind of role he carves out initially, and then the kind of player that he could blossom into. I mean, not a lot of people thought that 
Mikhail Bridges, even though that he was like a top 10 type prospect pretty much through his draft cycle. Nobody really thought that he could blossom into some of the player that he's actually been able to show that he is through this Phoenix Suns um, great run that they've gone on in the playoffs this year. And I think that Trey Murphy and Mikhail Bridges share a lot of similarities with one another in terms of what you would expect them to do from day one. And, and they have similar paths that, that Mikhail has taken and that Trey can take in terms of carving out a little bit even bigger role within an offense. Like you mentioned that he probably wants to improve his off the dribble game as much as anybody else in the class. Like he may never be like an excellent ball handler or somebody that's going to like shake off any matchup that's trying to guard him. But Mikhail Bridges has found like little ways to make his ball handling better to the point where, you know, if he gets swung around the ball and he's got to, he's got to come out of the corner, he's got to like get somebody off balance on defense, come out, hit a few quick dribbles and then pull up for a shot. Like that's something that he can reliably go to at the NBA level. And I think Trey showed enough examples in college to where he can make some of those slight adjustments. And then all of a sudden that's a shot he's hitting with a lot more regularity in the NBA. And if he's doing that, he's so much more valuable to an NBA team than just purely being somebody who spots up in the corner on offense. And then obviously he has all of his size, um, six, nine with a seven foot wingspan to the point where he can be a matchup problem on defense as well and guard multiple positions. So yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, Brian, if somebody uh, reached up and picked him in, in the lottery, if he rose that high on draft night, to be perfectly honest with you, like back end of the lottery, where, where do you think, he's going to go if you had to give that kind of a projection that will move to somebody else. I mean, it's funny you brought up Mikel Bridges because I actually think, um, you know, Cam Johnson was the player I was thinking of when you talked about that sneaky athleticism too. We saw that with that crazy dunk earlier uh, in the finals, you know. Uh, I think people were really surprised to see Cam Johnson could throw it down like that. And I think, you know, in the same way Kobe White was surprised that like Cam Johnson went 11, um, we could see a similar sort of rise of Trey. So, uh, I think he'll probably be a top 20 pick, top 22, top 25. Uh, those are probably the ranges I would peg. Um, you know, I think his, his, his camp is pretty comfortable with the idea of it being uh, first round. With, with the amount of three-pointers the Jazz take, um, I, I don't see him falling out of the first round if the Jazz are if he's still on the uh, – if he's still available and the Jazz are on the clock at 30 um, just because of, you know, the fact that they're such a three-point shooting team, uh, I think that he would be a great fit there. So – uh, I, I don't see him falling past 30, um, but, you know, I think Houston, uh, the Knicks, you know, these are these are some teams that uh, I've seen mocked uh, to him a couple of times, and uh, I think that they are totally logical destinations for him. Let's actually move and forgive me, Brian, if I'm throwing you a little bit of a curveball here. I'm going to go out of order a tad because I think that we just got on this nice train of talking about risers, guys who have outperformed preseason expectations and have kind of come out of nowhere i want to move to to jt thor actually and then we'll get into josh primo a little bit but you had the opportunity to interview jt thor and he's someone who i don't think really much of anybody knew about him to be perfectly honest even like at the beginning of the year going towards the middle of the college season and then all of a sudden everybody kind of looked at that auburn team especially when sharif cooper was able to come and play you know him being that big name freshman coming in um, and all of a sudden, the all the eyes turn on watching some Auburn basketball to try and get a look at Sharif Cooper. I think that's what really got a lot more eyes on on JT Thor, six nine forward prospect. I see him more as a stretch forward in the NBA. But you see, he a lot of his skill base is raw. But then you see flashes when you go back and you watch film of like the 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 dribble between the legs, like step back three point shot. 
or like step back jumper, like off balance. Like you see some of these flashes of his shot making from the perimeter at his size and you go, well, you know that he's likely going to be like a 4-3 type defender. Maybe he can handle some fives in time. You know that he's at least developing some kind of outside shot right now. If he starts to develop some of that in-between game, maybe you think about moving him to more wing responsibilities than necessarily just like your your pure stretch floor, just have him sit in the corner, space the floor for somebody else. Like now you're thinking about a really enticing player who also has gotten like top 20 buzz, depending on who you talk to, Brian. So in, in talking with JT, as well as um, some of the things that you've been able to gather from the landscape, what's what's your biggest takeaways on, on JT Thor, who he kind of is as a player, who he sees himself as, and then what's your, your take on the landscape for his draft stock overall? I'll start by saying um, that JT Thor is someone who does not lack confidence. Uh, he... <laughs> He really definitely believes in himself. He really believes in his game. And he should. Uh, he's a really, really talented young man. And I think he's got uh, a world of potential. Um, I will say, uh, you know, with full transparency that uh, his interview was very different than the one I did with Trey. Um, he's just such a different stage of his life right now. I mean, he is literally 18 years old. Yep. Um, you know, I asked him what kind of stuff he uh to do when he's not playing basketball and you know trey had old thought out answer about you know playing boo ray and how that's going to fit into the nba uh, from playing cards and how he likes to read books about psychology um so he can understand you know uh the mind better he's a psychology major he spent many years in college at this point you know going to two different yeah. schools yep. um jt you know literally his answer was you know, I'm 18. I do a lot of stuff that a typical teenager does. And it was just like, <laughs> that was his answer. And that's not wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. Nope. Um, but it's exactly right where it's just like, I'm literally 18 years old. Like, I'm just a kid. Like, I might look like a grown man because I'm, you know, 6'10 and built and all of that. But um, you know, I think we forget a lot of times that these kids are 18. And that's kind of one of the things that are sometimes 18. Uh, Davion Mitchell and Chris Duarte's case, not as much 18. Um, but, uh, Regardless, I, I think that that's one of the things that's obviously most exciting about JT is if, if he is this now, what can he be in a few years? And I think um, that's the, one of the things that um, I think I've come to realize over the draft over the last several years. I mean, um, anecdotally, my I went to University of Oregon and my dad was a huge fan of Peyton Pritchard. And I kept telling my dad, I was like, dad, there's no way Peyton Pritchard gets drafted in the first round because there are just so many guys younger than him um, who could potentially be better in a few years. Uh, whereas by the time Peyton's rookie contract would be done, he'd be, you know, 25, 26 years old already. Granted, I turned out to be wrong because Peyton did go in the first <laughs> round. But um, I think that that's kind of the thing that I've come to realize about the draft is like, you know, it's not necessarily about what he is now. It's about what he can be. Um, and I think JT is exactly that. So uh, for me, the reason why I started selling myself on JT so much and why I was um, intentional about wanting to speak to him and get the interview uh, was because I realized that there's not that much dissimilar to me um, between him, Kai Jones, and Jonathan Kaminga in terms of their physical frames and what their potential it can be. Um, I think that it'll come down to how much they want to work, how much time they want to put in the gym, how much they're willing to get better, um, and how much you know they're able to really uh, be in the right system that, that helps develop that. Um, you know, I think that granted, you know, I think most people have Kaminga higher than those guys for a reason, 
Um, and I think that Kaminga's body of work from high school might be a little bit more impressive. Um, but at the same token, I, if you told me in a few years that, you know, Thor or Kai or, or Kaminga was outperforming the other guys, um, I wouldn't be, you know, shocked about any of those answers because I think that they're all, um, you know, very interesting developmental prospects who have a ton of physical gifts who aren't quite there yet. And honestly, you might want to include McCurr Maker in that conversation as well, uh, just in terms of those, you know, skilled guys with a ton of length, ton of size, um, who uh, can slot into the NBA uh, as, a, as a guy who would be a huge home run swing. I love that that you kind of gave the impression on JT that that he he understands that <laughs> he's an 18 year old kid and like he doesn't have some of these nuanced answers that some of these older prospects might have, but he's kind of willing to to live in the moment and and appreciate who he is and what he's been able to do now. And you you also mentioned that the key word there with, with some of these guys is really going to be developmental because they don't have a wide skill set to the point where they're going to be able to contribute in a bunch of different areas immediately from day one in their NBA careers. But do you kind of get the impression from JT that he's going to be willing to be patient with himself as he's putting in the work and hopefully develop into something? Cause I think that's something that if you can pick up on that in any kind of interview or talking to anybody behind the scenes, like if that's something you can pick up on, that's a really positive indicator and, and gives teams confidence in drafting somebody like him. Yeah. You know, I think JT is a blank canvas at this point. Um, I think that uh, obviously he he has an idea of what he wants to be, um, and I think that he he knows it's going to be a lot of work to get to what that idea uh, is when it's fully realized. Um, and I don't think that it's going to be necessarily something that happens overnight. Um, <laughs> I don't know if he's going to be playing NBA minutes anytime soon. Um, but at the same time, you know, maybe it's an organization like Oklahoma City um, or potentially Houston. Um, that, you know, is in the middle of a rebuild and wants to see what they got in this kid. Um, so I, I think that he'll be in a good position. I think that uh, he'll be willing to listen. Awesome. And I, by the way, I love hearing that about a lot of these young players, Brian, to be honest, like everything I hear about kids coming out into the draft nowadays, like we really don't hear that much negative publicity with a lot of these kids. Like that, there's just something right in the water that, that's being drank by a lot of these NBA prospects nowadays because they all just a lot of them at the very least just seem to be um very humble and 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 kids who are full of humility so i i love hearing stories like this about these draft prospects not everything you hear in everyday conversation um and, and moving to another prospect who i think exudes some of that as well is josh primo um somebody who i was a fan of right away at the beginning of the season you take a look at him um the, the six six five six six guard like a true combo guard, right? Who can actually handle the basketball. You can envision him running an offense one day and setting everyone else up properly. But he's also somebody who his shooting metrics were actually pretty good this year in college on, on virtually all accounts in terms of perimeter shooting. Obviously, he'll keep developing his body. He'll work on his in-between game. He'll get better at finishing around the basket. A lot of that's tied to physical things that will naturally develop over time. But there were a lot of positive indicators this year for, for, for me when I was watching him at Alabama to the point where I'm like, I think this kid's going to be a first rounder. I don't know where he's going to go in the first round. I don't know who's going to want to take him. But I just have this confidence that 
somebody's going to make a bet on him, even if he's not ready to to play like a legitimate NBA rotational role within his first year or two, somebody's going to definitely want to have him within their developmental program. And they're going to want to be able to bring him up by like a end of year two, year three, and are like, okay, we have a legitimate guard here. This was somebody that we were worth um, taking a bet on. Is that kind of the sense, Brian, that you're, that you're getting at this point, especially after the combine that somebody's going to want to take a bet on him in the first round? Yeah, I, I, he's getting workouts with teams drafting, you know, ties 11, I'm pretty sure. Um, I, I, I don't want to exude the name because of how topical it is right now with um, <laughs> the NBA Finals, but I think there's a lot of reason, reasonable evidence to compare him to Devin Booker in terms of where they were at in their development, coming out of college, who they were as prospects, what their frames are and what their what their skill sets are. And I don't know if he's going to become Devin Booker because, you know, Devin Booker, you know, scoring 60 plus, you know, before turning 22 years old in the NBA. Um, you know, that's that, there's stuff about Devin Booker that, you know, just you don't see uh, very often in terms of uh, just basketball. Like, there's just stuff about him that that doesn't even make sense. But um, obviously, Primo, we'll see. You know when he's given when he's handed the ball, what that looks like. But you know, like Booker, um, Primo didn't really get as many minutes in college, but still declared for the draft. And I think they've got similar frames. And uh, obviously, um, you know, I spoke a little bit about uh, JT Thor kind of sounding admittedly like an 18-year-old. Primo was a better interview than a lot of NBA vets I've spoken to uh, in really? locker rooms over the years. Tell, tell yeah, me he's that. just polished. Um, he's just. He's just a grown. He's just a grown man when it comes to his maturity. He's he's an old soul. Um, like I think I think you know he he and Thor are very different in that sense. Where Thor felt like I was talking to an eighteen year old, and that's not a problem. But Primo felt like I was talking to somebody who was just so savvy. Um, I remember, I you know he was talking about how he he's never quit, right? He's like I've never quit. Um, he's like the only thing I've ever quit on was tennis and. Uh, that's because I got a late start to that one. And I was 12 years old and there were eight year old kids, you know, beating me and I could barely balance a ball on the racket. Um, and it was just like, it was a very thoughtful answer where he was like, the only thing I've ever quit on is 10. I was just like, you could see him doing that with an NBA front office. And even if it was rehearsed, he delivered it in a way that was convincing enough where I was like, this guy's thought this through. He, he, he was able to make me laugh. Um, he was able to give an anecdote while also talking specifically about his work ethic and his, and his willingness to get better and his willingness to never quit at something. Um, so, you know, he's got a young face, I think, uh, but he's, he's definitely somebody um, who, who I think uh, really, really carries himself in a way where um, his, his fan base is going to like him uh, off the jump and they're going to be really surprised by how young he is. You you mentioned Devin Booker in there, and and I actually think Brian, I, I I did a mock draft podcast last night, and I actually mocked him 29th to the Phoenix Suns, and the reason why I did that was because I think obviously the majority of everything he has to work on to really handle the the NBA game from the guard spot is a lot of his playmaking, particularly in pick and roll sets, and what better teacher at this point. Um, to be able to to show Josh someone who, in my mind, I already thought that he was an exuberant kid, someone who was willing to be a sponge and willing to take in everything about the game of basketball and just sit down and, and, and learn from someone who's been there and done that. 
Um, now you've sold me on that point even more, Brian, with some of your points from your interview with him. But what, what better teacher than Chris Paul? Somebody who has been doing this in the game for a long time. Somebody who knows the point guard position in and out. Like, I think that would be a really great, great fit for Primo and would give him a little bit of a jump start to some of his development as an on-ball playmaker. What do you think about that fit overall, Brian, given what, what you've gotten to know from him as well as some of your knowledge and, and some of your background? Love the fit. Uh, love your logic behind it. Uh, it doesn't really fit, in my opinion, Phoenix's drafting models over the last few years. Um, they've been kind of going for more of the win now. Um, experienced NBA players. You look at their roster, you know, Cam Johnson did five years in college. Frank Kaminsky was a college star. Kel Bridges was a two-time national champion. Uh, just across the board, uh, that's kind of the kind of guy they've been going with. Uh, but at the same token, I mean, the guy they drafted last year, uh, Dylan Smith, was, I think, a sophomore coming out of college. So um, it's, it's certainly possible. Um, I think that uh, they definitely value shooting. Every prospect they've drafted over the last several years has been uh, somebody who's going to shoot beyond the arc, um, beyond besides Aiton, obviously. Um, and, I, and I think that that's definitely something that they're looking for. So, you know, he is kind of at, at, at his core a shooter. So um, I, I think that Phoenix is definitely uh, a, a destination that would work for him in a very real way. Um, I also know that he played AAU basketball in the same system as Shea Gilbert Alexander. They have the same AAU coach. Um, just based off of Oklahoma City's developmental curve, um, that's kind of a destination that I had highlighted for him with those two Canadian studs, um, and Shea and Primo potentially being a backcourt duo um, with kind of uh, different skill sets, um, but, you know, could potentially complement each other well. So uh, that's kind of what I, what I would say uh, for me, but that doesn't mean that uh, I'm right because this is an inexact science. That would be so much fun, though, if we got Josh Primo and, and Shea Gilders Alexander sharing in the same backcourt. That would that would that would just like please everything about my my, my basketball heart and soul. Um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would just I love also, yeah. that. There, there's obviously there's people on Twitter who have floated trade rumors of uh, you know Shea moving Shea Gilders Alexander to get Cade Cunningham, and I honestly think that Cade Cunningham's closest NBA comparison right now is Shea Gilders Alexander. Um, so I, I, I don't understand why you would have any interest in moving off of Shea to get um, a younger version that isn't realized yet. You know, Shea is this guy already. And I'm not saying that Cade's ceiling isn't necessarily higher, um, but I do think there's such similar archetypes where it's like, I don't, I don't know why you would ever move off of Shea. Shea is such a, such a great foundational building block. Oh, no. Yeah, I, I, I would never trade Shea. Um, I, I think that he's definitely somebody that you build around long term. He's somebody who, when he was coming out in his draft class, um, I was the most excited to see him out of all of the other, like, quote unquote, pure point guards, to be honest with you, because of some of the things he did going back to his high school film where you're like, how did he do that? Like, he'll just make these moves in the lane where he's so slippery or he goes to some slick little dribble move. And you're, you can't necessarily explain on the tape how he did it, but he just gets it done. And he's, he did that at Kentucky when he was given more of the reins. And that's part of how he ascended up draft boards then. And he's continued to do some of the things, same things in the NBA. And now he's gotten to the point in his development process where 
there really isn't too much of a hole in his game from a scoring perspective. Like he's turned himself into a three level scoring guard and he's trying to become a better playmaker himself as well. And it's, it, it's funny. You mentioned Cade Cunningham's name, Brian. I know he's not technically on our list to, to talk about today, but you brought up an interesting idea that I'd like to ask you about. So maybe not moving Shea in a package, but they have so many assets, right? That I think that if this is a draft, you're going to trade up and make a move for, I think that you actually go ahead and you try and you try and stack the deck with as many cards as possible to get the job done without moving shade and at least put the offer on the table, even if Detroit doesn't take it or like they could move up to one and possibly pair like Cade Cunningham with, with Shay. or I've even made the case for um, the new Orleans Pelicans to, to basically put a lot of stuff on the table besides Zion and Brandon Ingram and go up and take somebody like Jalen Suggs. who I think would be like the perfect chemistry complement to that team um that the, then you would have a real legitimate core of three players to build around for the future like do you do you get the sense in talking to people brian that you think that some of these teams are at least like putting packages on the table to move up to take one player in the draft because generally if anything you always hear the conversations of teams possibly moving back but do you get the sense that teams are at least trying to trade up you know what, like the the the, the um, Pelicans and the Thunder are not going to be able to roster all of the picks that they have. It's just physically impossible. <laughs> um, so that's why you have all these picks is to do exactly that. So you can get the guy they want. I'm pretty sure they traded up to get Poku last year. Um, and I think that, you know, Alexis Pokashevi is somebody you want to trade up to get so you can have him on your roster because there's not another Alexis Pokashevi uh, in the world. You know, he's, he's such a unique player. Um, but it's like, if you want to get him, you got to go get him. Uh, and I think that, they're going to be able to do that pretty much every year. They can pretty much have their pick of the litter. Uh, Sam Presti is an aggressive guy in the front office. He always has been. I'm sure they're, they're offering, uh, you know, these picks to move up. Um, I think that New Orleans, presumably with David Griffin, is doing the same thing. Uh, I think, uh, I think your, your, your uh, uh, suggestion to get Jalen Suggs uh, to New Orleans is a great one. Uh, I think that Jalen Suggs, the guy he's always reminded me of the most, is actually Drew Holiday, and uh, the Pelicans were desperately missing a Drew Holiday this year. Um, you know, I think that uh, that if they could do whatever they can to to get back something similar in that mold, um, you know, maybe even someone that fits Zion's timeline a little bit more, uh, it's absolutely worth it. Uh, I think that New Orleans has a great package to get almost anybody at this point. You put Brandon Ingram potentially. Um, if you're willing to do that with a ton of first round picks and, uh, I'm not saying you can necessarily get Damian Lillard or Bradley Beal, uh, but you're at least, you know, one of the guys who's being considered at that point. So, uh, I'm sure Oklahoma city and new Orleans are both, uh, aggressively considering trading up every year. Uh, they'll have to, because they're not, they're not going to be able to roster these guys. That's the point of, that's the point of these picks is it's not just for, uh, rostering, you know, 30 guys in the future. It's also to move up. I hope so. I certainly hope so, my friend. It'll be interesting to see if anything wild and wacky would happen by the time we get to to, to draft night. Because we we've seen some crazier stuff in the past at this point. Like nothing nothing about the draft shocks me anymore. Um, but we'll get back on track a little bit here. We'll talk about another guy that that I have picked off of um, a list of guys that you've interviewed. I'll move next to David Johnson the guard out of Louisville. I got to be honest with you, Brian. I want your take on him. I want some of your evaluation on him and some of the things you've been able to piece together from talking to him because he's he's been one of my tougher evaluations for the last two years now. I'm personally not sold on him, 
as certainly an NBA starting guard, but even when you get down to some of the things that um, you would want a bench guard to be able to do, obviously he has the physical measurables. I know I don't have questions about his athletic talent or his length or, or anything related to his size, his athleticism, and his physique, but um, in terms of breaking down his game from a skills perspective, like I don't think he's a point guard, so I think he's more of like an off guard, like a shooting guard. Um, what are some of your thoughts about your evaluations of him and, and, and some of your insights that you might have on who he thinks that he can be coming into the NBA? Yeah, I mean, I think we didn't quite touch on his defensive versatility, which he showed at the combine. He guarded one through four out there. Um, I think he's got that length. Uh, there's not that many guys uh, who, who can play on ball um, who have nearly a seven-foot wingspan and nearly a 40-inch vertical. Um, and I'm not saying that... Uh, you know, he, he's like a generational athlete or a generational build or anything like sure. that, like all of that. But that blend is pretty unique when you factor in uh, his advanced playmaking. So uh, David is, is somebody who a lot of people had as a projected um, mid first rounder guy uh, this, you know, coming into the season. And um, I think since then uh, he, he answered a lot of the questions that they, people had about him when he was a projected mid first rounder, which is, can he shoot the ball? He, his catch and shoot numbers were fairly good last yep. year um, and fairly efficient in every way. Um, can he play off ball or is he a combo guard with that size? Um, and, you know, that's the thing is he, he, he did. He, he was able to, you know, still manage to be fairly productive despite uh, Carly taking over the one. So I know, you know, from talking to scouts that when Carly got to Louisville, he, uh, you know, said to coach, like, hey, coach, like, I know we already have a one, like, David projected first rounder, like, he could be the one, it's all good, I'll play the two. Coach didn't go that way, you know, coach made David uh, play the two, and, um, you know, I think that some people might think that uh, David, you know, in that sense may have been more uh, deferential than people would have necessarily liked to see, but uh, the truth is that um, I think you're right in that he was always going to be more of a role player, uh, so I think he showed that he can be more of a role player uh, last year at Louisville than he than he may have, um, you know, shown during his freshman year when he was playing on ball. So, you know, he had a great assist percentage his freshman year. Um, you know, he was somebody who I think stacked up well, uh, especially in games where he was playing against tougher competition, which I really liked. Um, you know, his per 40 uh, numbers when you averaged them out were insane. Uh, his per 100 numbers were even more insane. Uh, those are things that just like, when you, when you think about the fact that if you projected him to get a bigger role, um, you know, you expected a leap, right? He, he didn't take that leap, but he didn't get a bigger role per se either. He got more minutes, but he didn't get more offensive touches or anything like that than he did. Um, so uh, I, I think that he's, he's somebody who, uh, in my big board that's coming out tomorrow, um, is listed as a guy who I consider to be a rotation player. Uh, and I think that's what he's going to be. Um, you know, he, he's not, he's somebody that I think a lot of people have kind of forgotten about during the pre-draft process. And that's sort of his personality. Um, he, he's, really laid back dude, um, you know, really soft-spoken and um, somebody who is very, um, you know, kind and very thoughtful and all of that, but he's not somebody who's going to be on Instagram 24-7, posting his workouts, interacting with fans, um, resharing videos of him working out with top trainers. That's just not him, um, and it'll never be him. So uh, people have sort of forgotten about him, but I think when it's all said and done, I think he's got some staying power in the league if he gets an opportunity in the right system. Well, I like hearing all that stuff that you just said about um, who he views himself as as a person, um, so, some of what he tries to to practice or in some cases not practice. I like hearing that 
that kind of stuff. It shows that he's definitely focused and he has his mindset on the right things. Um, when we talk about draft stock, Brian, I don't really know where to peg him in terms of where I think his stock is right now. Like it, I, I think that out of some of the other guards, you could probably take a bet on in like the early second round. I think David Johnson's name definitely comes to mind as one of the better bets you can make because of everything that you just laid out. But I don't know if an NBA team is going to to think that way. Maybe maybe a, a, an NBA team scouting department would lean into more of the negatives that we could point out about his game. Where where do you think his draft stock is and or should be right now? That's a tough one. Um, I think that um, in you know in talking to his camp and in talking to people close to him, one thing that I kind of keep coming back to is. You know, it only takes one team to fall in love with you, um, but it also means that, you know, that one team has to choose you over everybody else. Um, so I think that in that sense, it makes his range really, really far. Um, so I think that uh, far as in, you know, there's a wide variance. Um, sure. I think that it could really go all over the place uh, with someone like David, uh, because I do think that there's a lot to like about him. And I do think that there are other guys that there's a lot to like about them too. Um, you know, I think that, uh, in terms of guys who are, you know, just like bigger ball handling guards, um, you know, Adesumu, Jason Preston, they're going to be a few other guys that, uh, you know, around that range who are going to be available. And, you know, if a team goes with one of those guys instead, you know, that, that might reflect poorly on his draft stock. And uh, that doesn't mean that those guys were necessarily miles better than him, per se, or vice versa, if David goes in front of them. Um, it was just a matter of preference or interview or workout or whatever it may have been. Um, and so, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean anything about his NBA future uh, based off of that. But I do think it's a really particularly hard draft stock to peg uh, for, for a variety of reasons. That's just how crazy deep the draft is, right? I think that's probably like the, the biggest reason why some of his draft stock is hard to peg is like some of those other names – then you mentioned like Io DeSumo, for example, like in any ordinary year, I think that both him and David would likely be, if not like mid to late first round locks, I think they probably would get selected like in the back end of a first round. But that's how just, that's just how deep this draft is, particularly at some of the guard spots. So I, I agree with you. It is hard to peg and I'll be really interested to see where he gets drafted because he is going to get drafted. It's just a matter of where. Um, and we'll move to a guy who, I don't know if he's definitely going to get drafted. My 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 gut tells me yes, but I can't rationale one way or the other where he whether he definitely gets drafted or not. That's Luca Garza um, out of Iowa, somebody who has one of the most decorated college basketball careers that we could probably point to. Yet someone who's looked at as not being the most cleanest cut fit from the surface level for the NBA game. And I think a lot of that, at least in my personal opinion, comes back to um, him not always being the the most mobile big man that you can find out there. Somebody who I'm confident is going to keep running the floor on, on both ends and be able to do some of the other things that you'd ask a modern big man to do. However, you go back into some of his numbers and then you rewatch some of the things on film, particularly from this past year, and between the improved outside jumper um, his improvement in transition scoring, 
uh, where he rates out in percentile according to synergy. Like you start to piece together some of the things, some of the knocks that we had on him if he would have entered the draft last year, and he did make some improvements. And now you see him at the combine, and he's really improved his body from a physical standpoint. So, like Brian, when 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 you talk to him, and then you talk to some other people um, or, uh, around draft circles, like do you get the sense that? Um, he's definitely made a positive impact in terms of his draft stock with, with some of the things he's able to do, not just this year, but even in this offseason before the draft. I mean, I can assure you he's interviewing well. Um, you know, the first thing he said to me when I spoke to him was, you know, uh, last year I posted up 47% of all possessions and, you know, the NBA doesn't trend that way. Uh, so I knew I had to slim down my body uh, to to get to a point where that doesn't uh, happen anymore so I could be more of a stretch player. Um, you know, I think that that just shows, again, a great, uh, a great understanding of himself and a great understanding of, you know, who he is and who he wants to be and what he's going to be. And um, I think anybody who is citing exactly what percentage frequency he's posting up uh, is somebody who uh, is going to take coaching well and going to learn and going to do all of that. Um, you know, I think that the combine, you know, was good for him and bad for him because it showed off his new frame where he looks uh, noticeably slimmer. But um, obviously, his agility was still rough. He, he had slow feet. The athleticism was still rough. He wasn't getting, you know, up there in the vertical. But, you know, he was telling me that this has happened to him at every level. You know, they said, you know, could he play high major? Could he play in a starting position? Could he play this? Could he do that? Um, and I think across the board, it's just been consistently him saying, you know, him being able to prove, like, yes, yes, and yes. And, um, you know, I think that he's one of those guys who um, – I'm curious when you change your role, um, if you were really good at something, uh, did you change your role to be something where you're now going to be moderate? You know, did you take away the thing that you were good at um, and now you're just average, right? Um, you know, I think that uh, he was obviously an excellent post scorer. That's kind of where he had his signature moves. Uh, is he going to be somebody who's uh, able to make make it work as a stretch four? Is he going to be able to be quick enough to guard a four? Um, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, but I, I did come away uh, from the interview with Luca Garza um, way more high on him um, than I was even beforehand. Um, I, I think that uh, he's somebody who uh, is going to be willing to stretch the floor. He shot the ball well. Um, you know, he's somebody who uh, I think has just been, you know, a workout warrior his whole life too. Um, you know, I think that I, I remember interviewing Tyler Cook uh, recently. Um, you know, his former teammate at Iowa, Tyler was a vet on the team and he said, Luca's first day at Iowa, um, you know, he, he beat everybody to the gym. Um, you know, he was saying that Luca, you know, as a freshman was putting in more work than any of any of the other players on the team. And, uh, it was one of those things where he was going to want it more, work harder. Um, you know, a lot of guys say that kind of stuff. Um, and I, and I, you know, when they say it with enough conviction, it's, it's easy to believe them. Um, and so I think that it's going to be possible for a team to take a gamble on someone like him based off of his body of work. Yeah, and, and I personally love hearing stuff like that. Brian, I'm glad that you shared that that little tidbit from, from Tyler Cook, another another really good guy um, in, in this game of basketball. And, and hearing some of that stuff about Luca that, yeah, he might not be the most physically gifted player at all times, but he certainly has the skill level. To, to back up a lot of his play. And then when you combine that with some of the work ethic that you just gave um, a little anecdote about, like that stuff matters to NBA teams. And I think that 
um, when, when you bring up the point of, yeah, he is interviewing well with NBA teams, like a lot of that's going to be why, if he can sell himself as a person. And the, that's like the fringe case that not enough people talk about that. Like if you're on the, the borderline of getting drafted versus going undrafted, like being able to sell yourself as a person, like that's just a very human skill that you need to be able to have in different walks of life. And if you can do that, especially during this pre-draft process, like, yeah, that's a way that you can get drafted. And it's crazy to think that somebody who averaged 24 points, nine rebounds that had a 35.5 PER in college basketball last year. Like it's crazy that somebody like that is such a borderline case to get drafted, but that's just, that's just where the league's at. That's, that's the talent gap in the NBA nowadays. And it's insane to think about, but I'm glad to hear at least those positive takeaways away um, from Luca Garza. And we'll, we'll move into the last guy, technically the last two guys, the, this guy you did interview this year, and then we'll hit very quickly on somebody who you interviewed last year who will be drafted this year. Um, Ja'Cory McLaughlin. Man, I'll tell you, Brian, the more that I go back and study this kid, I think that he is a legitimate diamond in the rough. Um, I, I, I've been very high on... Matt Coleman, particularly as a senior yeah. guard, somebody who you can get in the second round. And I know that he's a mature kid, somebody who's going to come in and, and lead a second unit's offense. And he's going to have a, a home in the league um, for, for years to come as a backup point guard or even like a spot starter at times. And the same thing with McKinley, right? But Brian, you go back and watch Ja'Cory McLaughlin, like he has the size at that position. He, he's not a negative athlete. You look at his skill level his ability to play out of pick and roll, score from all three levels of the floor. Like this is the type of potentially starting caliber guard that could be like hiding in plain sight in the second round. And it's the question of who wants to take a bet on him. Cause like that, that's how I feel about him at this point. Like if you're going to stack up those top three senior point guards, I think if any one of them found a way to be like a starting point guard at some point in the NBA, it's probably McLaughlin. Um, and I just hear nothing about great things about him as I talk to some other people um, around draft circles. So, Brian, in talking to Ja'Cory, what are some of the takeaways that you have from getting to know him as a person? And what are some of your own thoughts about his game and how he could translate to the NBA? Yeah, you know, I think um, to hiding in plain sight. You know, the, the Big West uh, isn't as much plain sight for some of these guys, especially in COVID. Uh, it was hard to get out there. Uh, hard to get opportunities to, uh, you know, necessarily uh, scout UC Santa Barbara. Um, so obviously he's somebody who uh, came from Oregon State for a little bit, but he wasn't quite this player yet. Um, but, you know, I think that he uh, is somebody who uh, really did what he could uh, to make sure he was somebody who had more visibility uh, by winning Big West Conference Player of the Year, uh, leading Santa Barbara to the tournament. Um, you know, I think he, he shot, you know, over 40% from three, um, you know, he's somebody who uh, can, can pull up. He's somebody who can shoot off the catch. Uh, he, he comes from a playmaking cut. Um, you know, his dad was a college coach and uh, kind of taught him to play point guard, play on ball uh, from a young age. He's kind of always been that guy. Um, he's somebody who I think uh, has some good defensive playmaking skills as well um, and kind of be able to get, um, you know, some steals and uh, be able to uh, be vocal on the defensive end of the floor. Um, I think he's he's a mature guy uh, who's ready to come in and make an impact in the pros. I think that, um, you know, in terms of the lineage of guys that come from the Pacific Northwest, um, you know, with Malachi Finn, uh, Flynn from last year, I can I could easily see him being kind of next in, in that in that ilk 
Um, and I think that uh, he's he's somebody who who makes a lot of sense uh, in the NBA for a lot of reasons. It's funny you bring up that name Malachi because when I sit here and think about that, I actually kind of see a lot of similarities in their games, yet you don't really see Ja'Cory McLaughlin right now on a lot of top 60 boards, yet Malachi Flynn went in the first round. So it's really interesting when you think about the disconnects. You bring up a great point that not a lot of scouting departments and or like media scouts probably got a chance to see much of Ja'Cory or at least as much in person this year as they might have been able to do in years past so maybe that's where part of the disconnect on the evaluation comes in but he's somebody that that really interests me as a backup to potential starter in the nba like i said i definitely think the chance exists there um do, do you think do you get the sense that he'll be drafted brian or do you think that his draft stock's still kind of up in the air and somebody's gonna have to to nab him and bring him into a summer league or a training camp roster well, you know, I don't think you're going to have to do that. I think that you could potentially get him as an undrafted free agent, but get him a guaranteed deal. Um, that's that's not that's not unheard of. I um, think that uh, even if it's not a guaranteed deal, it could be a two-way. Uh, Devon Dobson last year didn't go drafted, but he, he did, you know, immediately after uh, get that two-way deal, um, you know, with the Bulls. And uh, I think that kind of happens pretty much every year. Um, where there are going to be guys who don't necessarily hear their name uh, called during the draft. But uh, that's because in some situations, you know, their agent knows there's a better fit, uh, who's able to offer the same kind of contract, um, but just outside of the draft. So um, I think that uh, sometimes you don't want to go to a certain organization that's offering you a contract. Uh, and instead you, you go to, um, you know, sign as an undrafted free agent instead. So uh, I, I think that, that would probably be my bet for how Ja'Cory finds his way into the league. Um, but I think he's a likely two-way guy um, or at least a contract guy, um, you know, for next season. Uh, I think, you know, uh, if you could get him locked up on, on a deal, it's going to be it's gonna be worth it. So um, I think that he'll, he'll, be, he'll be in a flat spot um, and he'll be able to, to carve his way out. I don't think he'll necessarily have to, have to earn his way or his keep um, through training camp and summer league and stuff like that. Um, I think that his body of work is impressive enough that they're going to be teams that, that like what they've seen from him so far. You and me both, man. Yeah, at the very least, you and me both. Um, I'll get you out of here, Brian, on, on this guy. And you mentioned that you did interview him last year, so you have some insight um, into who he is and what he brings to the table from an off-the-court perspective. But someone who's who's been in the news, now he's finally been medically cleared to play um, one of my favorite players in this entire draft class, Jared Butler. I just, I think he's one of the smartest and most skilled guards that I've personally ever evaluated. I think a lot, a lot of people have been sleeping on him for different reasons here and there. I'm, I'm curious to Brian to get someone with, with your experience looking at a lot of this stuff from the lens of you. you get to interview with players and then you also get to kind of gather some intel and, and, and formulate your opinions as to where you think these guys are going to go. Um, where, where do you think that Jared Butler's draft stock is at the current moment between all of the worry about some of the medical reasons why he might not be able to, to get cleared to play right away. Um, but now we're back out on the other end of that. We, we are able to look at the positive and we're able to evaluate his game where do you think his draft stock is right now out of all the turmoil and coming back to more of the positive? Yeah, you know, I got to be honest. It's sort of an impossible one for me to peg 
um, <laughs> with with the with the health issue because while he's been cleared, uh, I do imagine that there is some lingering concerns now, and whether that's fair or not, I mean, um, you know, if he has a heart condition, uh, there might be some teams that are scared off after what happened with Lamarcus Aldridge and Chris Bosh and uh, you know those sort of early retirements and. Um, you know, I, I, I really, really, really enjoyed getting to know Jared last year. Uh, you could tell he was a winner. Um, I was I was all year thinking Baylor was going to win the national championship. And I actually thought they were going to win it the year before that as well. Um, I just really loved what he was doing in college and thought he was criminally underrated. I still think he is. I still personally have him a touch higher on my board than I have uh, Davion Mitchell, to be yes, frank. Yes, there um, we go, my friend. There yeah. we go. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a truther in that sense. And I... It might not be a take that everybody agrees with, but I do do kind of feel watching Baylor, uh, when I watched Baylor, rather um, surprised that people came away thinking that Dave Young was the better player um, and the better prospect. So uh, I really like his ball handling. I think he's got one of the best handles in the class, if not the best handle in the class. I would have said the same thing about him last year as well. Um, you know, I think uh, I, I had heart surgery, though. I, I had a heart condition. Um, still see a cardiologist every year. And, um, you know, I think that that's an organ that you don't want to mess around with. So um, that's something that I'm empathetic to and uh, definitely curious to, to monitor uh, in every sense because I, I don't know um, what that's going to look like for him. Um, I don't know uh, kind of how, how he's feeling about everything. But, you know, I spoke to him a little bit during the virtual uh, Zoom media sessions around the combine and he was – uh, feeling comfortable and confident. He said that was always his plan was to go out and to the combine and just interview anyway. And, you know, he said he felt God had a plan for him. And, um, you know, I think that uh, Jared is somebody who who I really, really like and um, would have a first round grade for him, uh, all things considered, um, even with everything. Um, but whether or not a team uh, feels comfortable using a valuable first round pick on somebody who, you know, was just medically not cleared for heart issues and now is again, um, a little bit harder to predict. Brian, I've thoroughly enjoyed getting a lot of your insights on these players. This podcast was everything that I hoped it would be and more. Um, seriously, for, I can't thank you enough. For my audience, again, remind them where they can find you and your work specifically because everybody needs to be make sure that they're following you and they need to be reading your stuff because this is the, these are all points that matter to scouting as a whole. All of this stuff comes into play. It's not just about the film and the numbers. It's about these little tidbits that you can pick up elsewhere. So where can everybody find you, Brian? Well, I appreciate your time today. It was really fun getting to know you too. I had a lot of fun uh, rehashing everything uh, on kind of my interviews with these prospects. It was great to kind of relive some of these conversations and get to know some of these players again, kind of by, by thinking about it, um, kind of helps me make my evaluations too. Um, I'm uh, Brian Kabrowski, B-R-Y-A-N-K-A-L-B-R-O-S-K-Y uh, on Twitter and across all social platforms. And uh, definitely looking forward to hearing this when it comes out and uh, following all your podcasts too. Moving forward, uh, check, out, check out my work at Hoopside um, for the win and um, check out Rookie Wire as well. Cody Taylor is doing some great stuff over there. Oh, you know that I'm going to share the hell out of this podcast, Brian. I will make sure that, that we're all over it, my friend. And I appreciate you saying your support um, for, for this show as well. And, and to the audience out there listening, thank you so much 
for tuning into this podcast. If you aren't following us on Twitter already, what are you doing? At Draft Deeper, get at us. We're having plenty of conversations leading up to the draft. Still enough exciting content to come. Wherever you get your podcasts, please subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, leave a review, say some words. Again, any conversation that I get to have with you guys is, is always a blessing because it makes all of us better and enjoying the game and appreciating the game that we love, which is the game of basketball. Thank you again, everyone, for tuning in. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Mm-hmm.